2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21 says this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. Please help me, Lord, now as I deliver the truth that you've given to me. Help us to see that your word creates faith in us. Lord, help us not to avoid your word throughout the week. Help us determine by your grace to be faithful to your house. And I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to build a life of faith based on your word. We love you. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And if we take our Bibles and we'll turn over just to another verse, you can see it written there on the screen in 2 Timothy 3 and 16. We'll look at a few verses this morning and the theme of the lesson or the sermon will be God's word is inspired and the word inspired means God breathed. That's why that is in parentheses there. God's word is inspired. It creates faith and change in my life, right? It couldn't do that if it wasn't inspired. If it was just something that men just made up on their own, it would have the same effect as other inspirational type of a sayings or other type of religious documents. There would be no new birth. There would be no radical change in our life. And it would not result in this faith that changes our lives and the lives of those around us. And so we'll look at 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. Let's begin in verse 15. It says, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. And can I just say for all the parents out there, this is vitally important if we are going to train our children to be adults of faith, if they're going to have faith, it is our responsibility to not tell them you're a Christian. It's not our responsibility to say you're in a Christian family. It's our responsibility primarily to teach them the scriptures. That is how someone becomes a believer. That is how someone becomes a Christian. That is how someone lives a life of faith. And so by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul is the one who wrote 2 Timothy. He's writing it to, <clears throat> he's writing it to a pastor that he had trained, being 2 Timothy. This is the second letter he wrote to him. And he's teaching him that from a child, you knew the scriptures. Now, how did Timothy get to the place now where he was serving the Lord faithfully, whether or not he's full-time pastor or not is immaterial. God doesn't call everyone to, to, to be a pastor, right? But uh, to, be, to be a Christian that carries on the faith for the next generation. It's because he knew 
the scripture. Notice the power of the scripture before we even get to verse 16, which is the main verse we're trying to approach here. The power of the scripture in the life of a child is such that it will carry him into adulthood, into a life of faith. It's not, listen, it's not the parent that does that through their pressure. It's the Holy Scriptures that do that. Our primary responsibility as a Christian parent is to teach our children God's word. Can I say that's my primary responsibility as a pastor is to preach and teach God's word, the ministry of the word. Someone asked me a couple weeks ago, what do you do all week? Uh, Well, it takes a lot of work to prepare for these two hours, a lot of prayer and a lot of work. And when I go and I teach in the Bible college that I'm blessed and privileged to teach at, what do I teach? There may be some stories I teach from my experience of the past, but primarily each teacher is teaching God's word. That is the primary thing that results in change and growth in the Christian life. That from a child that was known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Let me transition to this slide briefly before we continue on in verse six, uh, 16. And I would encourage you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, trust Christ today. Trust Christ today. The Holy Scriptures teach us to trust Jesus Christ. If someone from another religion is saying, trust this other person, or trust this other perspective, or trust this church, or trust your baptism, none of these things are from the Holy Scriptures. God's word teaches us to trust Christ for our forgiveness. First of all, we have to believe and accept and understand letter A, we are accountable to God. If I am going to get saved, if I'm going to have my sins forgiven, if I'm going to have a relationship with God, I have to understand I'm accountable. I'm accountable to God for my thoughts. I'm accountable to God for my actions. I'm accountable to God for my motives. I'm accountable to God for my words and not just for today, but for my whole life. I am accountable, which means that one day, uh, as, as our slide says, we sin against others. We sin against our own soul, but we supremely sin against God. God is keeping a record of all of our motives, of all of our thoughts, of all of our actions. And there is no baptism that can set that right. There is no church that can set that right. There is no good deed that can set that right. Only Jesus Christ can set that right. One day, all will be made right in this universe on judgment day. And this we righteously deserve. It is pretty natural as a human being to be self-righteous, right? To justify ourselves. But then we look at other people and we say, but they're bad. And we look at the bad As I've been telling you for several weeks, I'm reading this book on the rising of the Third Reich, right? Talking about how did Nazism come into into place in Germany in the 1930s. 1933 is when it first kind of came into place. How did that happen? And we look at all of the atrocities the Nazis committed. And yet seemingly, in a lot of ways, it seemed as if they got away with it. 
the ones who actually did these. Is there not a judgment day? Is there no justice? Well, of course there is. And anybody that wants to say that they don't believe that a loving God would send anybody to hell has never seen or read or studied or encountered anything or anything bad. What have you grown up in a cotton candy world your whole life? You've never seen any injustice ever? Honestly, what did you grow up in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory? <laughs> Honestly, there has got to be a hell because there is a God who is the righteous judge of the entire world. And if he's going to judge them and the bad things that we obviously see and the people that are uh, human trafficking and the people that are raping and the people that are just killing indiscriminately and the people that are kidnapping and, and, and the list just goes on and on. All the horrible things, the, 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 the corrupt politicians, don't they just get away with it? They, listen, they don't get away with anything. And if they don't, a righteous judge is not going to let me get away with it either. And though I haven't committed some things on the same scale as them, I'm still guilty. And so are you. And so are we. And I have to accept the fact that I'm accountable. And we righteously deserve that. Next, we have to believe that Jesus Christ himself took our punishment on the cross and rose again from the dead to prove his victory over sin. Jesus died on the cross for our sin, according to the scriptures. He not only died for our sin, he rose victorious, which means the righteous judgment that we deserve for the bad things that we have done and the bad things that the entire world has done, Jesus took all of that sin upon himself and he absorbed it in himself and his sacrifice on the cross completely, his innocence and his purity and his love. You see, because he wasn't a sinner, he wasn't just another man. He was God himself in the flesh. He was God incarnate. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And when you place all of the sin of the world on a sacrifice as pure and righteous and perfect as Jesus Christ, and he's the only one who could have done that, when he paid for the sin he did not commit, but he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let me tell you something, friend. He took my sin on himself. Every bad motive, every bad word, every lustful thought, every horrible deed, every, every, every deed that, that, that we've done, every place we shouldn't have gone, everything, every bad, uh, every, if someone stole something, every single tiny thing from the biggest thing to the smallest, most secret sin, he took upon himself and it killed him and he died for it. And then his soul suffered in, in, in hell for three days for your sin. He suffered for us on the cross. But I'll tell you, tell you something. Three days later, sin could not defeat him. All of the bad things that you've done, all of the horrible things that we've done against God, the righteous judge does not want to judge us for our wickedness. His love provided for Jesus Christ to die for our sins. And if we will willingly accept what he has done for us and say, I completely believe that you died for my sin, that you rose from the dead, and I am going to transfer my trust 
from myself and my religion into you completely on what you did back 2,000 years ago. At that moment, the Bible says you are born again. You are a new creature in Christ. And from that day forward, that's what it means to be a Christian. And listen, friend, this happens one time. How many times did Christ die on the cross? Once. There is one sacrifice for sin. There is one lifetime. And there is one choice that we have to make. Trust Christ today. How does that happen? You have to ask him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have to ask him. We have to be willing to say, I completely trust in what you did to save me. And that is what it's saying in verse number 15. The Holy Scriptures are teach us. We don't find this message anywhere else. We don't find this message anywhere else. We don't find this in the history books. We don't find this in the, the historian back during Jesus's time period called Josephus. We don't find it anywhere else. We find it in the Holy Scriptures. And we see in verse number 16, 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete or mature. That's what that word means. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, remember specifically in that verse, he's speaking to Timothy as a man of God or as a pastor and teacher. And that's why he's saying, this is how you prepare so that you can be prepared. You prepare yourself for ministry by knowing the scriptures and the scriptures are given by inspiration of God. How many of you like going to the dentist? Help us all. Not my favorite place. It has improved, I will say, the technology and the new techniques. Back in the day, going to the dentist was torture. Even if you had clean, good teeth, it seemed like it was torture. They've got these little tiny hooks in the picks and they're just going at it, right? And just scrape, 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 scrape. Look, that noise just puts this weird feeling in the pit of your stomach like, I just really don't want to be here right now, right? And I'll never forget as a little kid, my dad was in the military, so we had free dental care. So we went to the dentist every six months which to a little kid seems like every other day, right? But I'll never forget laying in that, you feel so vulnerable laying in that chair, don't you? Just laying in the chair like, I can't move. And here they're coming at me with sharp instruments. And, and, and dentists don't do this anymore. And I think they should get back to it. But up above, right in front of your face as a little kid, there was this poster of this little kitten hanging on by its claws and just like hanging on, right? And the little inspirational quote says, hang in there. As a little kid, it didn't help. I'm just going to go ahead and say that, right? And oftentimes when we think about the word inspiration, that's kind of what we think. We think about the word inspiration as if it is something 
where we are thinking creatively or we're trying to kind of lift up the spirits. But when it's saying that God's word is inspired, it doesn't mean that he kind of moved over these men whose names most of the time are are written uh, with the book. Not always, but many times they are. It's not that he just kind of like moved on their heart to, to kind of write down creatively. Okay? Uh, it's not like, oh, I'm inspired and I'm going to go for a jog. Uh, I'm inspired. I think I'm going to go and paint the most beautiful thing ever. Or the word used in that sense. The word inspired in the Greek actually is made up of two Greek words, and these words literally mean God breathed. God breathed. God breathed. It says all scripture, script, right? Scripture is the word that we use talking about the Bible, okay? Holy written, holy writ is another way of saying that. All of this came by inspiration of God and is profitable. And we're not going to go through all the definitions of those words, but the the, the one point we're trying to make this morning is God's word is inspired. God does speak through nature and powerfully so. We go out and we see a beautiful sunset. We go out and we see a beautiful scene. Perhaps there are certain special places in nature that you especially feel a sense of peace. And God does definitely speak through nature. And that in terms of theology is called general revelation. But special revelation is when God specifically moved on the writer's to write down specific words that he wanted us to have. It says in Genesis 8 and 15, and I'm just going to kind of read this little paragraph real quick. We won't look at all of these verses, but it says, God spoke to Noah in Genesis 8, 15, and in 9, 8. God spoke to Hagar in Genesis 16 and to Abraham in Genesis 24. He spoke to Jacob and to Laban his father-in-law in Genesis 31, and to Jacob again in Genesis 46. He spoke to Moses many times, some of which are in Exodus 6 and Exodus 20. We know that God speaks. And when God spoke to these men, they specifically at certain times, God told them, write this down. Um, the inspirations of the scriptures specifically Uh, This word inspiration, uh, this is the only time this word is used in the Bible. And it does not mean we are building this doctrine of the divine inspiration of the scriptures on one verse only. The Bible documents that God uses his breath to perform a creative act. In Genesis 2, 7, it states that God breathed in in, in, in Adam's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So let's look at that briefly. Let's look at Genesis 2. Genesis 2 and 7. God is a spirit. 
And yet it says here in Genesis 2 and verse number 7, when he created Adam, it says in verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This is the difference, one of the differences between um, human beings and animals. God did not use this process when he created animals. Okay, so when it's saying he, he made us a living soul, it means that he made us eternal beings. From that moment, we are now uh, beings that when we die, our soul or our spirit goes somewhere. It either goes to eternal glory in, in, in heaven or goes to uh, eternal judgment. But we can see here just where God breathed into the nost- uh, uh, into Adam, the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Uh, listen to this paragraph, please. It says, a proper statement of the meaning of inspiration must contend that God so supernaturally directed the writers of scripture that without waiving their human intelligence, their individuality, their literary style, their personal feelings, or any other human factor, his own complete and coherent message to man was recorded in perfect accuracy. The very words of scripture bearing the authority of divine authorship. Nothing less than a plenary and verbal inspiration will satisfy the demands of the scriptures themselves and give to faith the confidence in the word of God, which is essential to faith and life. Now, that was a very uh, thick paragraph that I just read. The point of that paragraph was this, is that when God moved on the hearts of these men to write down, they weren't putting it in their own words, right? They were writing down exactly what God wanted them to write. The scriptures are verbally inspired. This means the very words were God's choosing. Um, And we can see here, that when God spoke uh, or when he breathed into Adam, um, he, uh, that he became a living soul. And so when we talk about the words of God, we can go back to our memory verse in Hebrews 4 and verse number 12. Let's look at this, please. Hebrews 4 and verse number 12. Hebrews 4 and verse number 12. We're talking about the power of God's word. It says in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick. And what does the word quick mean? It means alive. Why is it alive? Because it's inspired. What does inspired mean? It means God breathed. And when God breathes on something in this particular way that we're talking about, It has the creative life-giving power that he is giving to it. Just like we know from the deep, very deepest part of our being that when we die, life is not over. When someone passes away, we have that hope that we will see them again. There are no other creature that has that kind of hope. That's something that's very significant and special to us as human beings. Where does that come from? What is the origin 
of that, of that, of that sense. What is the origin of that belief? The, the origin of that is from the fact that God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we became a living soul way back in Genesis chapter number two. And that has carried on throughout, throughout human history. And so, uh, but we've got to understand that this same uh, eternal life-giving power is found in the scriptures. When God breathed out the scriptures, he's not just writing something that was true for that time period. He's writing something that is true for us right now. It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So often when we read the Bible, very quickly do we realize the Bible is reading us. It's a mirror. I see myself. I see the deepest parts of me. I see God. I see Jesus. It also teaches me how to look at this world and how to look at other people. Not through, the, not through a mind of being naive and innocent and foolish and silly. And also not through the mind of this hard skeptic where nothing can be trusted and everybody is awful. No, it gives us the wisdom to cut through the temptation to just be this simple-minded simpleton where you're just completely naive like a baby walking through traffic, nor are you this hardened skeptic that everything is false and nobody can be trusted and everybody's evil. It gives you wisdom to be able to see this world and to go through this world with faith. How does it do that? Because it's inspired. It's inspired by God. It's straight from the God of heaven. When people try to tell you, well, if God's real, if God's out there, why doesn't he just show up? He shows up every day. Yes, through creation, but in the special revelation of the word of God. If you think about it, it is more genius for God to write a book that is inspired and to preserve it for thousands of years because his truth endures to each generation. Remember our memory verse says, it's more genius than that than for God to come down and walk among us. He's a spirit. We wouldn't be able to see him anyway, right? Jesus Christ was the one that was clothed in flesh. People, listen, when we want to talk about having faith, our faith must be tied to the fact that God has written us his word. Let me show you another verse, Hebrews 11, that talks about the creative power of God's word. And we'll find an application here in just a moment and then we'll be done here in about five to seven minutes, okay? Hebrews 11 and verse number three. Hebrews 11 and verse number three. It says, through faith, we understand that the world's plural, the planet's, Planetary systems, galaxies, the worlds were framed how? By the word of God. The creative power of God's word. And we could take the time to go through Genesis 1 and 2. We're not going to do that. 
But everything that we see today in nature that we so appreciate, how did it get there? It came because God said, let there be light, let there be trees, let there be these specific animals, let there be these specific swimming animals and fishes in the oceans and so on and so forth. Let there be, let there be. And just by the creative power of his word, of his voice, we see, we see all of this. The nature that we're drawn to naturally, many of us, some of us maybe are more city and we don't really like to go into the deep wilderness and others, we love the deep wilderness and so on and so forth. But there's a part of our human nature that just is really drawn to the beauty of nature. Why? Well, because God spoke all of that into existence and we see something that God has done. And in the same sense, why are we so drawn to one another? Why are we so social? Well, part of it's because God spoke each and every one of us into existence, beginning all the way first with Adam, right? And so we are drawn to that. And it's the same reason why we are drawn to the word of God and why it speaks to us so deeply is because God speaks through his word. It was inspired by God. It was God breathed. Now let's look at this last passage and then we'll wrap this up and we'll be done. So let's go to Mark chapter Two, Mark chapter two. And we're just going to briefly look at this story of this man that was carried into this house. He couldn't walk. Okay. He was so sick, he couldn't walk, but he was carried by four of his friends into the presence of Jesus. And the point I want to make from this story is notice the power of the words of Jesus. Notice the power of his words. It says in verse one, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway, many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. Look at that next phrase. And he, what did he do? What did Jesus do? What was his ministry? He preached the word unto them. Listen, if we want to be followers of Jesus, We need to be hungry to hear the word of God preached. Because if we were living in the time when Jesus was physically on this earth and we went to go see him, that is what we would be doing. That's how we would enjoy his ministry. Yes, he did miracles. But his primary form of ministry was preaching the word preaching the gospel, declaring and proclaiming. Why was that so important to Christ? Why did he do that? And we'll see here in just a moment, and I'll just go ahead and, uh, and just kind of tell you up front, and then later we'll, in just a moment, we'll go through it. Because through the preaching of the word, if we will listen to those words and receive it by faith, The creative power 
of God himself begins to work in your heart and that is how your life is changed. How did he change this whole world? How did he change the whole pre-galaxy? How did he change this whole pre-universe to becoming a universe? By the power of his word. By the power of his word. So now he gives us his word, the Bible, and we come to hear preaching. You say, well, back in Jesus' day, in Jesus' ministry, how did people's lives get changed? Yes, he did touch them. But the primary way that Jesus changed people's lives was through the power of his spoken word. The power of his spoken word. This house is so full, I can't even get this guy in. Right? It's like the subway at four or five. Ah, really? Right? Here I come. Squish in. That's the way it was. Right? The TTC at the, the wrong time of day. And imagine, they're not trying to squeeze a guy in that's standing up. They're trying to squeeze a guy in that's on a stretcher. Verse 3, they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four or carried with four, of four. Verse 4, when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, not the news media, even though that would make sense too. Right? <laughs> the press meaning just the overwhelming amount of people that are there. They uncovered the roof where he was. Can you imagine? All of a sudden you see the little... The little bits of dust come falling down on people's heads. Like, whoa, what's going on? It's like, and tile, 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 chunk after building material, after wood timber. I mean, how much work would that take? Before fire, and what kind of roof was it? I mean, I didn't research that. It could have been uh, some kind of mud brick, dried brick thing. It could have been some form of, uh, you know, um, uh, 2,000 years ago version of concrete that they made. I didn't research that. But I'm telling you what, uh, it was strong enough for them to be able to stand up there and lower this guy down. These guys worked hard to get people to Jesus. They're working hard at it. And they ripped a hole enough not to slide him through, feet first, big enough to get his whole stretcher through. That's a lot of work. Listen, uh, God notices, because it's here in Scripture, and he noticed how much work. God notices how much work we go through to try to get people to Jesus. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep working. Get creative. Man, these guys, I love that. These guys were so creative. If you have any creative ideas for our church to reach more people with the gospel, let me know. We'll, we'll do our best. Not for me to do, for us to do. Amen. Right? Notice what happens next. When they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, man, can you see faith? Jesus can. Faith without works is dead. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, notice, when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw the friend's faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, not what you would expect for him to say. What you're anticipating him is saying, stand up, you're healed. 
be healed. Man, wouldn't you love to hear that, like, in person? What an amazing... Uh, did he say it softly? Did he say it loudly? Right? Was he dramatic? Or was he just kind of, like, really, you know, just kind of casual about it? Like, I don't know. I want to I see... How did he do this? But he doesn't say what you think he'd say. What did he say? Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. How did his sins get forgiven? Through the words of Christ. He declared it. The man heard it and the man believed it. How do we get saved today? How do we go to heaven today? You hear the words of God and you believe it. It's the same way, guys. And he goes on to say, verse six, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Man, don't we see that? Well, I don't know about that. The word of God, surely the spoken words of Christ can't be that powerful to forgive somebody of their sins. That doesn't work. Right? Isn't that what they're saying? You ever had those thoughts yourself? God, I've got this problem in my life. I've got this difficulty. I've got this challenge. And somebody comes up to you and says, well, this is what the Bible says. And you think, that ain't going to work. How's that going to work? I just need you to fix my problem. Notice how he fixes it. He fixes our problems through giving us the word of God. Through speaking it. But it's not one of these magical bibbidi-bobbidi-boo spells where the sprinkle dust comes over us and it just kind of happens to us. We have to believe it. We have to accept it and receive it. I had a friend call me up a couple, uh, about two weeks ago, and he says, hey, man, you busy tonight? It was a Friday night. No, you know, just whatever. Going to do family pizza night, whatever. What's up? I'm in town. He lives up in Barrie. I'm up in town. I just brought up 70 people he brought down to a Blue Jays game for a big event. We had some people not show up. I have four tickets left. You want to come to the game? Yes, I want to go to the game. You giving me free Blue Jays tickets? I'm going to go. That's just, that's just the way it is. I live 10 minutes, 10 minutes away. Praise God. Okay, send me your email address. I'm getting excited. <laughs> I'm getting excited. Call my wife up. April, we're not busy tonight, right? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Brother Jesse's going to give us free Blue Jays tickets. We got to go. Yeah, okay, we'll move some things around. We'll do this, we'll that, whatever. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Send him my email address as quick as I could. Looking for the email. Looking for it. 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 There it is. 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 Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. It's only four o'clock. Starts at six. Starts at seven. Calm down. No, we got to go. Can't miss the go train. Let's do this. Sitting out there on the go train waiting forever. Finally comes. That loud high-pitched squeak when the brakes go off. Yeah, I mean, it just kind of, right? <laughs> like, blah. Get on the train. Go up there. Go up, go. And you go up to the little scanner. And you, you, put, it, you put it underneath the, the scanner, the QR code. One QR code for each person. That's tickets nowadays, right? 
Gone are the days of the paper tickets, right? I mean, you can put the paper ticket up on your wall and remember the game. Nowadays, what are you going to do with the QR code? Take a screenshot, I guess, right? And you go up there and very hesitantly, you slide it underneath a little reader and the little red light goes from red to green. That's the first thing that you think. It wasn't a scam. He wasn't tricking me. We didn't ride the whole family down on the go train all the way down to the stadium. He's not, he's not, he's not, he's not as a friend. You know, he's a friend. He's not scamming me. He's not tricking me. He's not pulling a prank. It's not a prank. It's for reals. And here's Jesus. Seeing the faith. And he's saying, you, your sins are forgiven. Everybody's like, what? Come on. Surely it can't be that easy. That's what they said. Who is he? Guys, you know oftentimes why we don't grow? is because we're not willing to just take him at his word. We have the same thoughts as these Pharisees like, ah, who is, I mean, can it really be that easy? Notice what Jesus does and will be done. Why did this man, verse seven, speak thus blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Oh, by the way, that's why he said it, is to prove to them that he was God in the flesh. That's why he did miracles. It's not just because people were suffering and they needed help. It's not because they had leprosy. It's not because he had palsy. It's not because they were born blind. It, those things are important and those things are necessary. He does every miracle in our life to show us that he is who he said he is. And he desperately wants to prove it in your life. He can fix the marriage. He can do that thing in your family. He can answer that prayer. He can grow this church. He can help you in your finances. But he does that not by throwing some magical dust over you and standing back at a distance expecting nothing in return. He does that by giving you a promise and saying, believe what I'm telling you. Believe it, is what he says. Verse 8, and immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit, listen, he knows if God's word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and, 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 and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, then surely Jesus can do the same thing. If the word that he wrote can do that, he can do the same thing. And he perceived in his spirit he perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves. And far too often we don't have what God wants us to have in our life. And we don't have the incredible miracles. And we don't have the incredible events. And we don't see God working mightily. Why? Because instead of just accepting his word, that it's inspired and it has creative force and creative power, we step back and say, well, let me try to reason this out. Let me tell you something, friends. There is no reason. There is no logic. There is nothing that can explain what he wants to do in our life. We have to be willing to take him at his word and just trust him. And sometimes we, why do bad things happen? Why do bad, because God is trying to humble our pride. He's trying to get us down to the place where like this man with the palsy. He wants to show us who he really is, but we can't do that if we're not to the place yet in our life where we're just willing to humble ourselves and say, God, what do you say? 
What do you say? We need to decide today, you know what? I am just going to take him at his word instead of stepping back and trying to reason everything. Listen, do not fault. Reason is shallow. Reason is faulty. God has given us reason, but it is not the ultimate test of truth. God's word is the ultimate test of truth. Your reason is not inspired. Your logic is not inspired. God's word is inspired. Man, that's good stuff right there. Because every single one of us, we want to understand and we want to know and we want the problem fixed and we want to go on to the next step in our life. And we think everybody around us is telling us reason, reason, logic, logic. And there's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you something. Logic is 25%. Faith is 100% of the possibility that God has for you in your life. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how we get born again. That's how we grow. And far too often, we're sitting back like the Pharisees and trying to reason and figure it out and saying, I know that's what the Bible verse says, but it just can't be that simple. Notice what it says in verse nine. Oh, my word. Look at these words, guys. Whether is it easier? <laughs> How did he describe this? Some of you, listen, I'm supposed to be done, but I don't care. Some of you are feeling guilty about something that you did years ago. You're letting Satan you beat you up. Guilty. Over things you did, words you said, and actions you, you did from years ago. And this man's entire life's worth of sins. How does he describe? How does he describe forgiving them? Easy. So if in my mind I'm feeling guilty, I'm not believing his perspective. I'm trying to reason it out. How can he forgive me? How can it be, my friend? Jesus says, well, uh, If you take this passage as proof, it is easier for Jesus Christ to forgive our sins than it is for him to raise up someone who physically cannot, impossible for them to walk. Some of you are waiting for God to do something extraordinary in your mind in order to forgive you of the sin or for you to feel that forgiveness or sense that forgiveness. Let go of the guilt. Let go of the shame. How, my friend? Because he's forgiven you. It can't be that easy. It is that easy. He says it's easy. Forgiving of sins, that's easy. It's easy. Whether it's easy for you to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Now, not that he has power to heal. That's secondary, because what happens if he's healed and he dies without Christ? He goes to hell healthy, which he wouldn't be healthy because he died. Do you understand? He lives a healthy life until he dies and then goes to hell. He says, you've got to believe in the power of my words. With his words, he healed this man. With his words alone, he forgave this man. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.